Hello and welcome to Roy's Rocket Radio episode 144 recorded on Tuesday the 19th of July 2016 and the time at the beginning of the show is 6 minutes past 4 in the afternoon and 35 seconds precisely. Beep, beep, only kidding. Okay, oh, just one more beep, have to make it a 3. Beep, like Sheldon. What a week. Terrible news in real life all over the place over the past few days. And if this was a current affairs show, but it isn't. So onwards and on to mostly happier things. And of course, at least proper summer is here at last. And as I record, this is apparently officially the hottest day of the year. So, yeah! Yeah, I'm literally clapping. Oh yeah, and before we go on the show, remember ages and ages ago I said that we'd have a geek dating episode? Well, it is coming, and I have been swiping left, right, and back to front lately, so... Eventually, I will let you know how it's going, though, from the tone of my voice, you can probably guess. Oh, and another thing before we go on. Not feeling too great today. Last night, too many orange clubs washed down with lime soda. Well, at least it was low-calorie lime soda. But no more. Oh, okay. Now, I said last time that I'd talk about the difference between literary agents and publishers, but just bear in mind I'm not an expert. As far as I can see, agents represent your work. They know a lot of people in publishing, something that you probably don't know. And in return for representing your work and hopefully finding you a publisher, they take 10 to 15% of your money as commission. And that can be a lot more for overseas rights. So 10 to 15%, as I've looked through the Writers and Artists yearbook, tends to be about average for home sales. Publishers, on the other hand, publish your book. Now, they may deal with writers directly, but mainly they deal with agents. One publisher that does deal with writers directly is Tor, but it seems they take a long time to get round to reading your work. So, of the two, agents versus publishers, which one's best? Again, bearing in mind I'm not an expert, and I have to qualify everything I say with that just in case someone gets annoyed that they didn't get the publishing deal they want after listening to my podcast. I'd say, concerning which one's best, that whoever will publish your work first is best. Probably not the best advice, but I'm finding that the publishing world is very, very small indeed. I've 
got about 46 agents that I think are appropriate for my novel, The Horus Box, an action-adventure mystery. I won't go into that now, you know all about that, but if you don't, just Google The Horus Box. <laughs> You're sure to find lots and lots of links for something that doesn't even have an agent yet or hasn't been published. But if you want to read about that, you can do that. Um, yeah, so only 46 agents that I could find. I plan to go through that list and submit to each of them. And if I'm unsuccessful doing it that way, then I'll put together a list of publishers. What else can we talk about? Well, oh yeah, self-publishing. Sure, that is something that you can do, but I have found that unless you're already well-known, good luck making any sales. It does happen, but it isn't easy, and then the onus is on you to do everything imaginable with that book. You will have to do all the marketing yourself, it's a lot of work. The cover, the just about everything you can think of. But the benefit of that is you keep a lot more money. Although Amazon does take a cut, I can't remember what it is right now. Google it. Yeah, so what am I doing? Well, I'll be doing all three. Looking for an agent, like I said. If that doesn't work, look directly for a publisher, and I do publish on Amazon Kindle anyway. I have one short story out called Glassy, and I plan to have a whole anthology out pretty soon. That's what I do every evening. Apart from the editing of the horse box, I also do some creative writing and re-editing stories that I've already written some time ago but could do with improvement all to be published in an upcoming anthology available on Kindle. I'll talk about editing, maybe, in the next podcast and a few other things. But right now, I have some exciting news. We are returning to our Doctor Who Vintage Marathon. Ah! Yeah. I'm still in the year 1968, and tonight we're talking about the adventure entitled The Crotons. This was a four-parter of 25 minutes each. First broadcast on the 28th of December 1968, and it ended in on, sorry, the 18th of January 1969. And just to recap, we are with the second Doctor, played by Patrick Troughton. You know, the clowny guy with the recorder in his pocket and fireworks in his pocket, and all sorts of other things in his pocket. He's a bit funny, too, and a bit lighter than some of the later Doctors. 
And his companions are Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie McCrimmon, and Wendy Padbury, who plays Zoe Harriet. Another bit of a recap, too. The last time we had an episode of the Doctor Who Marathon was quite a way back, actually. It was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes ago. We had an episode where we talked about the invasion from 1968. And if you want to go back to that episode, that was episode 137, recorded on, or at least published on, the 2nd of June 2016. So, wow, more than a month ago. But now, now we continue the saga. Okay, here we go. Doctor Who and the Crotons. Let's talk about the plot first. The TARDIS lands on a fairly desolate-looking planet, and in some caves, the Doctor and his companions find the primitive humanoid culture called the Gons, who look like us, but... You know, who knows how their internal plumbing works. The Gons are ruled by their masters, the Crotons, who are referred to as the Silver Men. Yes, I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute. These Silver Men require regular sacrifices of the best of the Gons, And it turns out that the sacrifices are disintegrated when they are found to be wanting. Because, da-da-da, the Crotons are stranded aliens who are hoping that the Gons will produce, at some stage, the high brains that they need in order to power their spaceship so that they can escape the Gons' planet where they have crashed. Luckily, or unluckily for Zoe and the Doctor, they have the brains required by the Crotons. The Crotons want their brains. In the end, the Doctor helps the Gons rebel, as he often does, and destroys the Crotons. And he and the team slip away because I don't think the Doctor is that good at handling goodbyes. And I don't think I would be after so many centuries. Much easier this way. What did I think? Right, remember I said that the Gons referred to the Crotons as the Silver Men? Of course, I immediately thought that the Crotons would turn out to be the Cybermen. But thank goodness they weren't. Except they actually did look like a combination of Dalek and Cybermen. So come on, prop designers. Start using your imagination a bit. If you want to know what they look like, just have a look at the blog post for this podcast. But 
basically, they looks like giant robots. There was another race of giant robots that featured in a previous episode, but I can't remember. But if you do remember what I'm talking about, let me know. But these robots are slightly smaller, but they're still towering above the average human. They have kind of pyramidal-shaped heads, rectangular bodies, and accordion-type arms. One arm has a manipulation device and the other arm is a weapon. And we've seen this configuration time and time again. If you wanted a logical scientific explanation as to why you always see that configuration, apart from the fact that the prop designers were a bit lazy, well, from science we do have parallel evolution. Again, Google it. Okay, where am I now? I need a better system, by the way. Sorry for the tangent that I have at the moment, because I'm looking at half a screen of Open Text Editor on not the biggest LCD, or the smallest, but it's not really that big, and I'm a good meter away. What I really need is a teleprompter. Never mind. Okay, so we talked about how the Crotons looked. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bit of good old retro sexism, but quite funny. Wendy Padbury wiggles her bum. I'm not kidding. There is a scene where the Doctor tries to pass something to her, unseen by the Crotons behind their backs, you know, hand to hand and instead she shoes his hand away I'm not sure what that implies whether she thought that the doctor was trying to do something untoward but she shoes his hand away and then quite gratuitously wiggles her bum and I've got to add her PVC mini skirted clad bum it's Almost like finding an easter egg in a game, now that I know what to look for. And it's not just Doctor Who. Think about the more politically correct Star Trek The Next Generation. There is an episode where Gates, McFadden, Doctor Crusher is gratuitously leaning over an instrument console in engineering. Let's just leave it at that, as I'm getting overly obsessed with this topic. Okay, bear with me while I scroll down and have a sip of my drink too. Okay, where am I? Okay, I'm still here, don't worry. Ah, refreshing. <laughs> Just to finish off the topic of Wendy Padbury's behind, I should mention that just to equalise things up a bit, Jamie also gets the chance to macho things up and express his Y chromosomes, as he often does, with a bit of hand-to-hand combat at the beginning. 
Pah! Not as good as Wendy's axing things up. Oh dear, let's just leave that now. And that is it for Doctor Who. The Crotons, 1968. The last episode of 1968, and we're now on to the year 1969, which means we've only got five million years of episodes to go before this marathon is finished. Yeah, I am starting to wish that I never started this in the first place. Okay, technology, Windows 10, yep, I gave in somewhere between the last podcast and this podcast, then I installed Windows 10 on my Mac Mini 2012. In the show notes, it says last night, I'm going to have to correct that, because it was a few days ago now. Why did I do this? Well, there's only a few more days until July the 29th, 2016, when Windows 10 becomes something you will have to pay for. Or so Microsoft tells us. I wonder if that's actually going to happen. Anyway, I already know the OS, having installed it a couple of times months ago on the same computer, but... That's no real reason, other than Windows 10 isn't really that hard for me to figure out. Also, I have a Mac Mini 2012 and I don't trust Apple to support Windows 7 via Boot Camp for much longer. Oh, and... Another little update, apparently on August the 2nd we will be getting Windows 10 Anniversary Update which has a whole slew of updates and sounds like it will make upgrading post that date a lot longer because there will be a lot more stuff to download. Only guessing, might be wrong, but I didn't want to have to deal with that. Oh, and on that subject of the anniversary update, apparently there is a Linux shell, but, you know, I've heard Windows, sorry, Microsoft do this stuff before, and I've never found that their shell thing that they provided, I think, in Windows 2000 was any better than third-party things like Sigwin. So I'm not holding my breath. I'm sure it won't satisfy my expectations, but I can't resist the odd tweak, so I might play with that. Not quite sure. So far, though, the only thing that hasn't worked is... I have a clipboard manager called ClipX. It is incredibly useful... And it just doesn't work in Windows 10. Every time you bring up the clipboard manager, the program crashes. So I have replaced it with Ditto, which doesn't look quite as good, isn't quite as lightweight, but does exactly the same thing. So those are all reasons that I did install Windows 10 on my Mac Mini 2012. 
But I do have one other computer. I have a Windows netbook. Sorry, an HP netbook with Windows 7 on it. Unfortunately, I can't upgrade to Windows 10 because there are no available drivers from HP. The netbook is running a 32-bit version of Windows 7 Ultimate, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I was thinking that eventually, when Windows 7 is no longer updated, or at least no longer has security updates, maybe moving to Linux, but by then I'm sure the laptop would have exploded. I was going to have running on the netbook Lubuntu, but I just recently heard that pretty soon Ubuntu is going 64-bit only, which includes the variants. So that is just wonderful. Very, very clever plan, Ubuntu. Just strikes me as completely idiotic when they want the largest market share possible. The last thing they need to be doing is to be abandoning 32-bit hardware. But who knows what the strategy is behind that. Maybe they've just given up. I don't know. Which is a pity, really, because I'm not sure how to compare it with Windows 10, but I know that I prefer Ubuntu to Mac OS 10. So, anyway. Yeah, so I upgraded to Windows 10 on my Mac Mini. In fact, I'm recording the show on Audacity running on Windows 10. One other reason I should mention before I finish with this topic is I've noticed that Windows 7 has slowed down on my Mac Mini. Not sure if that's just the lack of drivers starting to show, the lack of driver updates, or other hardware tweaks. So, yeah. But if you're out there and you're still running Windows 7, don't worry, because Microsoft will be supporting it with security updates until the end of the universe. Okay, again, need to scroll down, so pardon me, while there's a bit of dead air and I lean forwards. Probably you can hear me muttering to myself, so that should fill in the void. Ah, okay, next topic. Roy's new phone. Remember my water-damaged Moto E? Oh, when I say water damage, I mean water killed. Killed by water. Almost sounds like a Motorhead song, but it isn't. I found a new phone, not that different. I ended up with a Moto G 3rd Gen from 2015. The European article number, EAN number, for this product, and you might want to know this because of what I'm going to tell you next, is 6 
I bought the 2GB RAM 16GB storage model, which is currently £15 more than the model with half those specs. And you can see that model in John Lewis. Although I didn't buy this particular model there, I bought mine from Argos. Why last year's model? And why did I give you that number? Well, compared to this year's Moto G's, last year's Moto G, or this particular version, is waterproof. Yeah! And after my last accident, that might be something I want to consider. Well, it is something I want to consider. I'm a clumsy ox. I was actually down to the Wiley Fox Swift, which is slightly cheaper. I think 129, something like that. Or the Lumia 640XL, slightly more expensive. But I ended up with this model because the Lumia 640XL is also phone prone to be killed by water, according to a lot of forums and Google searches. And the whiny Fox Swift, while it has good hardware, seems to be let down by slightly ropey software or a slightly bad software configuration of the OS, which is Cyanogen, on that particular phone. And also because neither of those phones are waterproof, again. So far, everything seems okay. Fingers crossed they stay that way. And just to reiterate, if you consider the same phone, remember, the latest Moto Gs are not waterproof. Also, a little disclaimer, while I'm wittering on about my new phone, this is not an ad for Lenovo. I had numerous complaints about my last Moto phone, and I'm just hoping, praying, that this phone will be more reliable. A few things I've noticed already. The case is thinner, but wider and taller too, because it has a 5-inch screen. I'm right on the edge of it being uncomfortable to carry in a front jeans pocket, and... Although there is very little bevel on the phone, it still feels big. I'm not sure how anyone could tolerate a larger phone than this in their pocket without resorting to some kind of bag, which is okay if you're a woman, you can have a handbag. Well, it's okay if you're a man too, you can have a man bag. (laughs) The big screen, the stereo mics, the better cameras, are all great, but I do hope that there will always be a place for screens five inches or smaller. So far, I've tested the onboard mics and cams, and they are better than the Moto E, especially the cameras, which are miles better. I am altogether relieved because 
I was not coping very well with being disconnected, but maybe I could have weathered information withdrawal symptoms. But after getting lost without satnav and having to stop and ask a couple of really helpful <laughs> chaps who assisted me with the help of their own smartphone. And I know this is only psychological, but I felt like some kind of techno peasant. So I've given up. I've only had the phone a short while and the RSI is on its way back already. But at least I'm connected. So mixed blessings all round. Oh, and just a last minute update. The protective case that I ordered from Amazon, you know, those three pounds rubbery things that you can buy, isn't here yet. And I've already managed to drop it. What happened was I put it inside a loose neoprene case, put the case inside my jacket pocket, folded my jacket up so it wouldn't drop out, put it into a bag. Before I went out, remembered that I'd forgotten to put something into the bag, took the jacket out, the phone slid out of the neoprene pouch, out of the jacket and onto the floor. Thank you very much, Karma. And luckily, it wasn't a very expensive phone. Now, for those of you who like metal frames and nice shiny metal housings, remember, aluminium dents really, really easily. And we've seen this with the iPhone and the HTCs. So if you're buying a really expensive aluminium phone, just bear that in mind. It's kind of ironic because these phones tend to be the flagship models. I've got to say, you know, I really have a love-hate relationship with smartphones. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. The point is, seriously, if you can live without a flagship smartphone... My advice is to go for a high-impact plastic housing unless you have not a single clumsy bone in your body. Horribly, and you know how when one thing starts, they sort of cascade? It's what I personally call a cascade error. It's a terrible sequence of events that starts off with one bit of misfortune. A bit like those Lemony Snicket books. Anyway... On the same day that the phone dropped onto the floor, I dropped water onto my armchair, about half a bottle. Then on the way out, I tripped over my own feet. And when I got where I was going, I managed to throw my water bottle under a car. Thank goodness the karma thingy is back in sync now, but what a day that was. That was not fun. I suppose the one thing that you can take away from all this is that if you can live without buying the very latest smartphone, older phones are sometimes even better. The other thing is that I'm finding this 5-inch smartphone, which isn't exactly a phablet nowadays, that's more like 
six six point five inches is big, and I am so close to buying a man bag. So there you have it, five inches the new normal. Talking about phones, of course. Okay, that is it for this episode, the slapdash episode with minimal edits because I can't be bothered to do it anymore. What is on the next episode? Okay, upcoming, I'll tell you how the submission is going. Hopefully I'll have submitted something by then. Although no, probably not, because the next episode is tomorrow. So not that episode, but the episode after that, hopefully, I'll have some news about how I've actually submitted to some literary agents and what is going on. Tomorrow, maybe just a writing update, that kind of thing. But also, tomorrow, I will be talking about High Rise. That is that J.G. Ballard adaptation starring Tom Hiddleston. J.G. Ballard, great science fiction psychedelia writer. That should be enjoyable. Okay, to subscribe to the podcast, contact me and for all other social media links, go to roymartha.com. That is R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com. My Twitter handle is, surprise, surprise, at roymartha, R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R. If you are listening to this podcast, do me a favor and leave a review in iTunes. Sorry, a bit more dead air. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be a good radio DJ. No, I would be. I would be BBC. I would be a very, very good radio DJ. Sorry. Do you see the power of the BBC? Okay. Yeah. A nice five-star review in iTunes, please. This was Roy's Rocket Radio episode 144, recorded on Tuesday, the 19th of July, 2016. The time at the end of the show is 44 minutes past four in the afternoon and six seconds. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Bye!